Hello, welcome to not PSR. Um, that's the other show I do. Welcome to the stock out. <laughs> <laughs> We're off to a good start. Welcome to the stock out. This is a show about CPG and retail here on Freight Waves. I'm Mike Bowden, just still joined by Grace Sharkey. And uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about retail AI, um, retail sales, inflation data. And then we're going to interview Josh Book, Chief Partnership Officer of Triumph Pay. Um, and yeah, you wrote an interesting article over the over the weekend that I was reading. Um, you want to talk about that? Uh, 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 wait, which one over the weekend? I thought so. I thought there was one the other the other day that that you wrote on. Um, well, we can just move on to the, the to the topics. Um, <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. <laughs> it's Monday, you know. We're we're just slowly getting into it today. That's what the audience is, is getting used to. We're we're here though. We got this. <laughs> you're good. <laughs> yep. So yeah. So this morning you talked a little bit about AI um, usage in yeah. retail industry. There were some interesting sort of articles that were sort of around the the web about um, how AI is being used in in retail. I thought one of the interesting ones there was a Wall Street Journal article that talked about um, you know there there's a retailer trying to get more AI in, in, into the into inventory. And um, so this is, seems like just to me a really good use case for AI. I mean we hear hear so much about AI taking people's jobs, but this could actually Maybe enhance people's, um, you know, ability to do their job. So they're they're talking in this article about using AI to manage inventory levels. They, talk, they cite Walmart and Walgreens specifically, and the idea is to maybe eschew historical um, sales trends because those only tell you so much about what's going to you know come up, and really incorporate more um, sort of real time data. Uh, and, and so some things like weather. Which has a big impact on how much people shop, you know, what they buy. I mean, just foot traffic, it has a big impact on and impulse purchases, all those things. And then the other thing that it seems to be even a bigger deal is the social media attention, where really it's difficult to predict what sales of any ob any sort of item is going to be because they're so influenced by whether certain social media personalities come out positively on them or not when they review them, you know, then that's, you know, has to go with when, when they launch, but then also just sort of this time of year, someone puts out a list of the top Christmas items for a particular person that can all of a sudden create a shortage of a certain item, or maybe this person has a better following in certain regions of the country that causes a shortage of this item in certain regions of the country. And it seems like this is getting to be a bigger deal with, for instance, like Amazon rolling, making its black its, its marketplace sellers, um, you know, have a have a regional distribution model instead of a national re distribution model, and it seems like this is pretty related to a lot of what we talk about on a regular basis in freight transportation. Um, and a couple of of ways that you know this can kind of manifest this is you know we've seen over the past several years have a sonar chart on this that you know domestic intermodal containers. You see this white line. This is just sort of a relative chart, but in the past five years. You know, you look at from middle of 2019 to now, domestic intermodal, actually 12% higher in this past week. You know, there's some seasonality in there. So it's a seasonally strong period of the year. So if you exclude that, maybe it's a 5%. But, um, you know, domestic intermodal has taken some share from international intermodal. If you consider those being part of the same market, I sort of think of them being two different markets. And part of the reason for that is a lot of the, those goods that go in domestic intermodal are imports that get transloaded from international containers into domestic containers. And so you can make the decision of where those items are going closer to the the point, you know, time when those when those items are consumed. 
you know, similar situation when you look at sort of the West Coast ports versus the East Coast ports, where the West Coast ports, a faster way to get items from China to the U.S. by a good two, three weeks versus all water routes to the East Coast ports that helps you to incorporate some of what, you know, a social media influencer might say um, and, and direct those those items accordingly. But do you have any other examples of, of how that sort of works its way into the transportation networks? Uh, well, just in general, I think it's it's interesting to see how uh, we are pulling data from d- different areas. I mean, the, you touched on the weather aspect, too. I think that's going to be kind of a big one. Uh, but, yes, the social media aspect, knowing uh, exactly which influencers have more leverage, it means that when that purchase wants to be made, and, and as someone who's bought stuff, just seeing someone else review it and immediately clicking that button, you know, if it's not in stock or if it can't deliver in a few days, then especially around the holiday season, right, where we have like these deadlines of when we want to get stuff in. And some of that could even be before Christmas, depending on when your family holiday events are happening. Uh, I think this inventory question of of becoming more regional and these like more micro fulfillment systems are going to become huge. I, in my view, right? Like I, I write a lot about technology in the space. I'm really excited to, to watch into this next year. Like maybe some more of these companies like pop capacity or these uh, different companies that find uh, availability in warehouses uh, throughout the, the domestic U S because I think we're going to see more and more of this, like, regional fulfillment system come up and you mentioned amazon you mentioned a couple players that are of course adding that as a requirement to their marketplace uh again we talked i think last week right about like waiting to see what the data looks like or how long a lot of these hauls are over the holiday season as well because i think it's as long as we can have a better picture or uh, make better forecasting choices with our inventory uh, i think there's going to be a lot more pressure on these more regional moves and, and the carriers that move these these lanes as well. So, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a, a, something even bigger that we see in, in 2024. I think it's coming into practice more now, right? Like, I think when uh, we hear earnings calls for this last quarter, next year, uh, this micro-fulfillment type of or regional uh, fulfillment system is going to be more talked about uh, in those calls than, than we've heard in the past. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I did find the article I was re- referring to earlier is the DAT has um, sing- in single quotes zero tolerance <laughs> for fraud. So, so we'll, we'll hear that was on Friday, not over the weekend. Uh, so we got that wrong. Yeah. And then um, we'll hear more about that topic, uh, you know, later on. But I also wanted yeah. to give, um, you know, shout out to um, an upcoming webinar that we have titled How Enterprise Companies Are Using AI to Drive Cost Efficiency Within Truckload Programs. Um, again, pre- pre- yes. presented by Flock Freight. Um, you know, Joe from our team um, is going to be moderating that. So um, I think this is a relevant one for, you know, the intended audience of this call, uh, which is the the, the shipping uh, shipper community. Um, I also want to touch on, you know, a couple other uh, things here. You mentioned on uh, FreightWaves now this morning, retailers face lawsuits over the AI chatbots. This is yeah. something that um, I think is, is interesting. I mean, even just um, preparing for this call, went to you know, first Triumph Pay website and then went to Trax website. Um, our guests came from Trax. And then there they had a chat bot. And at least there it was like yeah. clear that it was a chat bot because it had like an icon of a, of a robot. But um, so, so what do you think is ultimately going to happen there in, in one line? 
you think they're just going to be required to disclose that you are in fact speaking to a robot? Is that sort of the, the punchline? Yeah, I think they'll be required, but I honestly think the consumer will demand it before even the requirement. I, that's a big part of these issues is that uh, people are giving their their um, maybe a little bit more of their personal data up to these chatbots, but because they're becoming so intelligent, they feel like they're giving that to a human instead of giving that to a chat box. And so I think that level of transparency and saying, hey, right now you're talking to a robot, so we'll move you over to a customer service rep, uh, is going to become huge. Uh, I was I talked about this morning, uh, recently had to do a return to Amazon. And uh, it was kind of, long story short, I screwed it up. I put two items in one box. But uh, in order to talk to someone about that, right, they have first the robot that you talk to, and then they you actually set up a phone call for a human rep to call you directly. So I think that that shows you, right, the importance of making sure the consumer knows kind of where they are in that level of customer support. But on the other side of it, I, I, I think there will be some regulatory aspect added to it because there's going to be, I think, a lot of companies across all industries using these chatbots. They are going to be requesting specific information. I found it really interesting. California has this kind of cancel uh, type of regulation where it's kind of like clearing your, your browser history, like your ability to delete everything with that company. I mean, that's huge. Uh, we all know here at FreightWaves the importance of data and, and what companies can do with data if they get their hands on it. And uh, here it's positive, but in some places they could be leveraging that or selling that even in a different way. So even everyone who's in our space who's looking to add chatbots or some type of uh, automated customer service, make sure when you're learning from those technologies or, or looking to buy one of those that you do have that discussion a little bit deeper on the privacy side of things, who's getting that info, how they're leveraging that within their total business, uh, and and also if they're watching out for these regulations as well. Yeah, it seems like the logistics should be sophisticated enough. You can put two things in the same in the same box. Um, seems like <laughs> yeah. hopefully somebody will we'll get to that point. I uh, just want to hit on a couple of uh, sort of macroeconomic items I think are relevant. I mean, we had some good you know feedback from the last um, you know session that we did on Black Friday sales. A couple of other data points came out since then. One is that October um, consumer spending rose 0.2% from September. Um, that was da down from a 0.7% rise. So seeing some deceleration there. Savings rate only 3.8%. So um, sort of suggests the consumer maybe pulling back just a little bit, um, you know, you know, given the, the seasonality. And then you're also seeing inflation cooling, which I think was a big part of maybe, you know, the primary reason why stock market was surging last week um, and has such a had such a good month is CPI in October, you know, rose 3% from a year earlier. So closing in on Fed's target at 2%. Um, and then you look at core CPI rose 0.2% in October from September, and that's up 3.5% from a year ago. So for CPG companies, I mean, I think this goes to what we've talked about before, which is the retailers going to be put more pressure on the CPG companies to reduce prices You've seen that come down in a lot of the fresher food categories, the one where it's a little bit more of a cost, a pass through of commodity costs, whereas the packaged, um, you know, goods still those prices are at elevated levels. But it seemed to suggest from Walmart's latest earnings transcript that they have negotiated lower prices on a lot of those products, and they just haven't hit shelves yet because those contracts um, haven't rolled over yet. Um, so with that is a little bit of, of macro news. I think we should get into um, you know introing today's guests. 
who is Josh Pook. Uh, He's the chief partner, chief partnership officer of Triumph Pay. Good to see you, Josh. Mike, thanks for having me. It's great to see you. Grace, nice to talk to you again. It's good to see you. I know. Happy to talk with you, too. Thank you so much for uh, joining us on the show. And, and hey, to, to start this off, uh, let's, uh, for our audience who does know who Triumph Pay is, which catch up if you don't, uh, let's give them a little overview of what you're doing for our industry. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to. So at the highest level, Triumph Pay is the payments network for global logistics. We facilitate uh, frictionless settlement of logistics invoices for shippers, for brokers, for 4PLs and carriers and factors. And while doing that, we're identifying and eliminating fraud within the logistics industry. So the easiest way to think about us is we're the visa of global logistics. We're also a member of the Triumph financial family, which means that we're publicly traded, we're regulated, uh, we're a financial institution that's a member of the FDIC. And because we have visibility to nearly 50 billion in freight, and we pay over 280,000 carriers each year, we have tremendous visibility into the movement of goods in North America in particular. How's that? Yeah, I wanted to you know, maybe ask you for an insight or two, you know, based on that visibility, when you see so many payments, you're probably the first to see when the you know, volume of um, transactions you know, increases or decreases. Kind of what are you seeing in the in the marketplace right now? It's, it's traditionally a, a busy time for, for shipping items. What, what are you seeing? Yeah, Mike, I mean, you, you just touched on it a minute ago. You know, the, the, the big news was that uh, online spending for Black Friday was 9.8 billion, up 7.5% from last year. It's a record again. That's fantastic, except what's behind that, right? That's that, first of all, it's only online spending. Is that really a sign of economic health or is it just a sign of consumer patterns on where they buy, but not necessarily how much they buy or how strong the consumer is right now? What, what we do is we look at what the trucking industry in particular can tell us. Uh, and every single year since I've been in logistics, I'd be curious, what Grace, what you think. But si since we've been doing this, we've seen seasonal sales increases in retail and CPG drive increased prices for over-the-road freight moves, right? Trucking rates always go up this time of year. And that's due to primarily just increased loads without increased capacity. This year, prices have bumped up and down for the last six or seven months, but are largely consistent, no, no material increases. At the same time, we're seeing tender rejection rates that are only a, a very small increase over the past two months and are still less than 50% of what we would expect from a healthy seasonal market this time of year. And yet we know, because we're making all these payments, we know that and we can see that there's been modest capacity attrition in the trucking space over the past few months. As the freight market continues to struggle, rates continue to be low, and some carriers and drivers are just parking their trucks. And so what I would tell you is, it's, it, while it's maybe a slight oversimplification, because trucking capacity is reduced, but pricing hasn't increased, it suggests that overall demand, load volume, hasn't increased like it normally would during the season. And that, to me, is a, is a significant area of concern for the retail sector. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I want to follow up on the answer as well, because... I actually have a pretty long relationship with Triumph Pay and some of the businesses I've been in as well and a big fan. But what's unique about your business is that not only 
do you get to see the carrier side of things, but the brokerage side of things too? How is how is that uh, everything that you just stated trickling into what you're seeing in, in, in brokerage at this time as well? Well, I mean, I think it's it's no secret that we've seen brokers that have struggled in this period. We've seen some that have done very well. Uh, a lot of the the, the brokers that have, have um, invested in their businesses for a long period of time, but with good, stable profitability all along the way, are doing excellent right now. But we've seen, as has been well covered in freight waves, we've seen uh, <laughs> maybe some that that you know got ahead of themselves in their business models, didn't didn't focus entirely on profitability and maintaining margins the way they needed to, and and those have obviously struggled. Uh, and, and I, you know, it, the way we look at it for the next eighteen months, we see that just continuing. We see, we certainly see that the there there will be a rebound. Whether that's six months, twelve months, eighteen months, our our money is on probably twelve months uh, before we see material increases in freight rates. And so for for us, I think if you're a broker, it's it's going to continue to be time to stay the course, manage margins, do good, you know, work, take good business, and then manage your costs. And and for those that do that, I think they're going to come out just fine. Yeah, so a, a shipper listening to that, um, you know, is thinking, yeah. well, it's, it'll, be an, it'll be another good, it'll be another easy year if I'm a logistics manager, right? I mean, it's in the, yeah. well, don't worry about tight market another twelve months. You know, what, what advice would you be giving them? And, and is there a way to use for, for them to use your service to, to stamp out, you know, fraud or, or other um, areas? Yeah, I mean, especially in the retail and CPG side, what we're seeing um, over the last last few months. Uh, is a is a shipper that is saying, look, it may not be it may not be a great time for us right now either, right? We we may struggle a bit too, but there will be a rebound in consumer behavior. The account, overall economy will rebound and will grow, and and so those that are thinking about that in the in the context of that's going to be in six six twelve eighteen months, they're making moves now in order to take advantage of that uh, when that time comes. And so the biggest focus that, that I see them having these days is, is really focusing on working capital. Um, shippers, particularly retailers, are starting to really take a, a hard look at how do we maximize working capital right now so that we can make the investments now that will help us gain competitive advantage over the next uh, 12 to 18 months. And so what what's changed, though, is, it, you, you know, when... Let's go back to early 2020 when money was effectively free, right? Um, if people wanted to expand working capital, they'd just go to their bank and they'd borrow more money. Today, because rates are so high, because interest rates are high, and, and we don't expect material degradation of those rates over the next year, companies are turning to programs like supply chain finance, and they're looking to extend supplier terms to be able to increase their own working capital. And we're seeing, frankly, we're seeing a lot of that right now with companies that are going to RFP. You could use the term pressing their leverage. Uh, I wouldn't use it myself, but some people might. Uh, But they're issuing RFPs for logistics services that are demanding 90 days, 120 days. We've even seen 150-day terms being demanded uh, by uh, shippers 
to their logistics service providers. And that just hasn't happened before. Historically, the LSPs had enough leverage in the relationship that they could just simply decline and they would reject those programs. And so this is where we find our opportunity to step in. Uh, Triumph Pay comes into the middle of that where relationships are tense, where uh, you know the shipper wants to take longer to pay and optimize their working capital, which is a good business move for them. It's smart for them. Uh, but the LSP is in a very cash cash intensive business. We all know that they need to, they need the capital now, and so Triumph Pay comes into that, and we automate the settlement of the invoices. So first and foremost, let's let's get all the bad data out of the way, all of the paper. Let's connect the to the system so that we can create frictionless payments. That makes everyone more efficient. We then identify and prevent fraud transactions, fraudulent transactions, making everyone safer. But the last thing we do is we inject our balance sheet into the settlement and payment process to help both sides, the shipper and the LSP, so that the shipper can take as long as they want to pay, and, the, and, the, and yet the LSP can get paid when they need to, to be able to continue to make good, uh, deliver good service. And that's really the focus of Triumph Pay is automation, fraud prevention, and supply chain finance that helps everybody manage this challenging environment in a, in a better, more uh, collaborative manner. Uh, I love that. And, and to, to piggyback off of that, clearly being in partnerships, Josh, uh, you, you touched on fraud being a huge aspect of of what you're doing behind the scenes at, at Triumph Pay. I mean, especially talking about CPG and retail, probably two of the biggest industries that that fraud is looking to attack. Can you talk about the partnerships that you've been working on to prevent fraud in the future and, and really how that uh, is going to continue into 24 as well? So it's it's pretty public knowledge that we've got a great relationship with our friends at Highway, uh, and yeah. you know I think I think the last article I saw from Freight Waves said that double brokering in particular is somewhere in the five hundred million to seven hundred million dollar range. We think you undershot it. To be very honest, we we think that there's a whole lot more than that that isn't detected, and this is what that partnership is allowing us to root out. We're between the data that we have uh, across nearly 300,000 carriers at this point, knowing how they get paid, what, what accounts are theirs, really understanding account ownership and who they are, the identity, and then connecting with Highway and being able to understand also what, um, what equipment they have, we can figure out programmatically whether we're seeing a, a broker who's clearly has the capacity and, and is... Uh, is able to, to uh, deliver that freight using their equipment, um, the carrier that's doing the same, or that, you know, that carrier has taken 10 loads and they have three power units. <laughs> and so we're, we're able to be able to identify those issues and bring them to the shipper or bring them to the broker and say, hey, something's going on here that we need to uh, address together. Uh, that, that relationship is fantastic. It's growing uh, and is going to continue uh, we do have some other partnerships uh, that are in the in the works that will allow us to um, provide an increased level of transparency and visibility in the industry uh, in certain areas of data. Uh, but uh, those are coming soon, and uh, and and we'll have more information on that in the new year. Like, yeah, that's exactly what I was about to ask you. Is, is just. <laughs> 
it's just about your role and um grace can can verify that because you see we're in the shared document but i wanted to ask you about your your role as chief partnerships officer I mean, you did the the partnership with with highway you did one with hub trans to sort of expand your capabilities is there anything you can say about sort of the direction you're taking the company um by expanding um your, your partnership reach well um Hubtran we bought, so so we that is now part of Triumph Pay and has been for the last couple of years, and that that represents our our audit solution uh, for our broker community. Um, as I mentioned, our, our partnership with Highway is fantastic. We do have partnerships on the shipper side with uh, companies like E2 Open, um, Oracle TMS, Trax, and Intelligent Audit. Uh, and those those partnerships are all meant to deliver uh, uh, a, a integrated experience from uh, TMS to freight audit to payment uh, for our uh, mutual shipper customers. And uh, and so there there will be more of that coming into uh, next year. And then overall, from a partnership standpoint, you know we we view um, the TMS community uh, as um, a, a pretty broad spectrum of carrier TMSs, broker and, and 4PL TMSs and shipper TMSs, and those that play in multiple categories, of course. But what we're trying to do within the network is to create stitching that allows those TMSs to submit data in, uh, whether you're a payor TMS or whether you're a payee TMS or an ERP system that's that's looking to either pay invoices or uh, expense invoices uh, on the on the payor side, uh, we're able to be able to to connect that data, uh, eliminate a, a lot of the paper that's happening uh, in the industry that has happened for you know a hundred years, uh, and be able to stitch together a frictionless transaction throughout. And and when you see that transaction go from order to pay. Um, with zero paper, that's when we know that we've been successful. I love that. Again, I uh, love watching Triumph Pay grow. I was a big fan of the Hubtran uh, back in the day, was uh, as a customer waiting for that uh, acquisition. So happy to see what you've grown from that as well. And uh, Josh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, it sounds like we'll have some amazing articles to work on into 2024 and the work that you're doing too. And uh, for our audience out there, uh, make sure that you go and subscribe to our newsletter if you haven't already. Top of the page at FreightWaves.com, click on newsletters and make sure you uh, join our community there. Make sure you like this video, subscribe, of course, to our YouTube channel as well. And we'll be back uh, next week with some more content.